Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another episode of Rob Zerbations. Rob Zerbations is where we get all the comic book talk, the comic movie talk, the comic streaming talk, the comic action figures. I'm all about comic books. I think we've done 112, 113, some, I, I don't know. I, last time I looked, that's that's the numbers that jumped out on me. And uh, the great thing is that they, they, they start at the beginning uh, my very first episode uh, outlines the very first comic book that rocked my world that I pulled off an actual spinner rack that I didn't um, trade my barber for because that's actually my very first Marvel Comics is Fantastic Four 147. I'm not sure I've covered that, but that was through a trade with Fred the Barber. I'm sure I've covered it, but eventually I started you know, buying comics off the spinner racks and have been addicted ever since. I have a 30... Uh, four year going on 35 in just a few months in comic books and uh, comic books have been so very good to me and my family and uh, it has been an, it's the passion of my life outside of my family comic books all comic book stuff is my passion it ignited me it lit me up uh, they were my comfort food uh, when things were dark for me as I've covered uh, in a period where my my own father was in a coma for nine months I'm not gonna Debbie Downer this any further than just saying that, that during that time, I realized that, that that's probably when the bond, the love of comics, because they took me away. They, they spirited me away. My imagination was carried by all of those crazy, amazing characters, mostly published at the time by Marvel and DC Comics. Later, I would get into all those crazy, awesome, independent, um, uh, 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 independent comics, and, uh, and, and it would just completely continue to expand and, and, and build my awareness of, of more artists and more creators and more talents. But today we are going to jump right into just, I, I really did a lot of research on this because I needed to bring as many uh, facts and figures. This, this episode was more of a term paper than any other episode I have done or possibly will attempt to do because I wanted to get as many um, of the facts that I could as I present this to you because otherwise it will come off as opinion and um, my opinion you'll see is positive overall and it and it concerns Marvel and the once very bleak outlook that the MCU had and I'm going to read to you from the Wall Street Journal from Barron's uh, another huge financial paper these financial uh, times the financial papers they were reporting on Marvel the minute that Marvel became a relevant stock and they never looked back. And what got their attention more than anything was the bankruptcy that Marvel entered into in 1996 and then emerged from, you know, in 99 and then everything that followed as as Marvel rebuilt its business. But I was at a Starbucks coffee shop and had grabbed a copy of the Wall Street Journal in 2005 when I read an article that described the risk Marvel was taking in going into their own production as Marvel had raised a roughly $600 million line of credit to make movies based on what was left in their catalog. And the brutal assessment from this article, which I'm going to read to you today, was that all Marvel had left was, and I quote, and you're going to read it in the context, I'm going to read it to you, inferior characters. They identified and correctly identified that Spider-Man and X-Men were their best-selling most popular characters in their entire library, in the history of their library. And especially, as we've covered here on the show, the reason I talk about the relevance of these books is because they matter in the way that they are viewed, in the way history views them. And for 20 years, the X-Men was the best-selling comic book. For 20 years, the X-Men was, was a top seller for Marvel Comics. Once it hit, it never looked back. It obviously became... Uh, uh, home to a family of titles. Wolverine, X-Factor, X-Force, New Mutants. I mean, uh, so many spinoffs. There, there was one called Fallen Angels. I mean, uh, you know, the X-Men were the featured lead characters when Marvel launched a bi-weekly comic called Marvel Comics Presents that was always Colossus or Wolverine or Cyclops that was leading the charge, leading the, the, the primary story. The X-Men, the Mutants... Were, were what were the bait that they would throw into the waters to get all of us to bite. And just uh, just earlier this morning I was I was flipping through one of my comic books 
from 1975 and it has an ad for all of the Spider-Man comics. And I'm like, this is what I talk about on the show. It was actually a, 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 an issue of Tarzan, an issue of Marvel's Tarzan. And uh, it had an ad for Spider-Man is available in five monthly titles from Marvel Comics. And it listed Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Spidey, Super Stories, the kids, um, the kid, more kid accessible title, the reprint title that reprinted all the classics, Marvel Tales, and then of course Marvel Team-Up. And it showed you, I mean, Spider-Man was a breadwinner, huge, and X-Men, and they went hand in hand. And these financial papers go out of their way to show you that Sony has dominion, control, over the Spider-Man catalog, all of those characters, and that Fox at the time had all the X-Men characters. One is going to, I'm going to read from a chart, because these, um, so these, these actual articles were the result of me sleuthing all weekend long with a lot of clever word searching to actually find the articles that I read over the years so that I could give them to you and, and, and really show you how tremendous what Marvel has done because, and the reason for this is we have just ended uh, a, a three-series run and had a giant movie, four characters, or five, five, six characters, I guess, total because you got WandaVision, which has Wanda and Vision, and they Marvel on Disney Plus in their streaming portfolio. Then gave us Falcon and Bucky. And um, then we got Loki. And then just in the last few weeks, we've gotten the Black Widow movie. Let me tell you something. These are the quote-unquote inferior characters that the article was talking about. And, and the fact that they have taken pop culture by storm is a testament to all that Marvel has accomplished. We, we give a lot of credit to Kevin Feige. He deserves the lion's share, but there's other names along the way, and you'll, you'll read about those names in these articles, other CEOs, other, other heads of department, the toy people, who along the way helped build this amazing brand for Marvel Comics that, that, that went above and beyond the expectations that, that the financial, the, the, the stock market, the brokers all the financial institutions put in regards to Marvel's outlook because they were they believed that Marvel had a bear outlook not a bull outlook it was not a bull market for Marvel and the thing that was shocking to me in one of these it was like the recommend wasn't strong one guy one paper even said I recommend a sell on Marvel stock right now because all they have left is the inferior characters and you're going to read I'm going to share it with you this uh this this crazy article uh, uh, where, where Avi Arad, who was the head of all of Marvel's productions prior to Feige taking over. But in the early days, the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans, those are with Avi, and, and you can like some stuff and not like others. And in Spider-Man 3, of course, with, with Venom and Sandman is is um, is an easy target. And, and maybe some of that was because Avi wanted to pack it too full, stuff it too tight with stuff that he wanted to sell toys of because the toy part of that equation was the most lucrative for Marvel. But you're going to hear him say like what they made on certain movies and you're going to just be completely amazed. And 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 they did take a risk by raising this finance um this 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 financial element that would then propel them to all the success that we now know whereas Loki and Black Widow once D-list characters don't come after me cuz I'm not alone the the financial markets were assessing them in the same way. X-Men and Spider-Man, and they even say in here Fantastic Four, and I think they were correct because Fantastic Four was for the longest time the flagship title of Marvel Comics beneath that Spider-Man ad that I told you about that had the five titles because it was a split page ad. 50% was for Spider-Man, but below it was for The Thing. Catch The Thing. He's in two books monthly, Fantastic Four and Marvel 2-in-1. And in fact, Prior to the X-Men, Marvel's bestsellers were Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. Those were the top-ranking books in one of my podcasts where I outlined sword and sorcery and I talked to you about the rise of Conan the Barbarian. Conan jumped in there before X-Men and he clogged up the top 10 at a time when it was all Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. He broke through. He placed very strongly. But then, again, the X-Men happens. We don't look back. They become the predominant franchise at Marvel Comics. But the fact that Loki, seven, you know, six episodes. Um, the, the 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 Falcon and Bucky, the the WandaVision. These are not characters that have sustained long term comic book success. They didn't have their own 
series. There's not a Loki 200 because there's not 200 issues that Loki has been the featured player. He was, when I was growing up, a constant, you know, six, seven times a year behind the scenes maybe, and then one, you know, heavily focused um, he, he uh, spotlight on him as the villain, the foil for his half-brother Thor. But he was never sexy. And, and in fact, in the Loki sh show where they have Richard Grant playing the Loki that I'm speaking of, the one that Walt Simonson put the spotlight on, the one that Jack Kirby, um, you know, created and brought to the to the fore. That Loki was the Richard E. Grant Loki, the classic Loki, old Loki of the show that we all had such a kick seeing and because and, and his portrayal was more relevant. Loki was never a heartthrob the way Tom Hiddleston was, but... Uh, I'm slightly getting ahead of myself, but obviously Tom Hiddleston, uh, cast in a crucial role, uh, wins us all over with his portrayal. He's super charismatic. He's great. He's a younger version in that 2011 Thor film and, and plays great off Hemsworth. And as a result, you know, Tom Hiddleston is, is has become a featured player as Loki, who in the comic books was never a, you know, spotlight character. He was never an A-lister. But now he is. Now he is. But, and, and again, this episode is called The Rise of the D-List. The, the Marvel miracles, really. I mean, the, the Marvel miracles that they performed. And, uh, and, and true, truly, it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is amazing what Kevin Feige and everybody along the way have achieved. Black Widow, wonderful. Lover. She was a bit player in comic books for almost the entirety of my childhood. Ex extending into my teen years. They did a... 2000s, like Marvel Knights, I think, miniseries that put a focus on her. They've tried to do a couple of limited series or series that didn't go too far. But again, this isn't, there's not 200 issues. There's not 100 issues of Black Widow. There's not a Black Widow 100, okay? Because these characters didn't have that kind of following. Black Widow, for the longest time, was a, um, a it was Robin to Daredevil's Batman. And, 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 and was Falcon, the way Falcon was to Captain America... And, and she was great. We loved seeing her in Daredevil. She was fantastic. And sometimes she was in Iron Man. And sometimes she was in the Avengers. But she didn't have her own giant profile. But because of Scarlett Johansson's success in portraying Black Widow, we now got a giant mega 100 million plus budgeted feature that I loved. I, I dug it. You know, because it, it, it's it's there is no bad characters you know, there's good stories and there's bad stories. And the good stories give us great characters and great characterization. And so they've been, they have broken through in this way. But at one point, the, the, the odds, the deck was stacked against Marvel as much as you could stack the deck. And I'm going to read to you, starting right now, some of the outlook, given that Marvel had announced that they would be um, um, doing their own, financing their own projects. Here is a... Uh, 2004, June 29th, 2004. I mean, we are going 16 years into the past here. Wall Street Journal, headline, Marvel may need heroic help. Despite Spider-Man 2, some worry about insider sales and Marvel's dearth of exploitable characters. That's the headline. In the bold, it's Marvel may need heroic help. Right above, below the bold headline is uh, big copy. Despite Spider-Man 2, some worry about insider sales, the dearth of exploitable characters. This is written by Gregory Zuckerman, Martin Pierce, Kimberly Songstaff, all reporting for the Wall Street Journal. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and it says right here, you know, like Spider-Man scampering up the sides of tall buildings, Marvel Enterprises' bottom line has staged a remarkable rise. Now some on Wall Street wonder if Marvel's management is as sure-footed as its comic book hero. And uh, it goes on to say that Marvel's stock has soared 55% in this past year. This is 2004. And it says Marvel is expected to record $450 million in sales this year, up from $340 million the year before. It has a market value of more than $2 billion, um, five years after emerging from bankruptcy court. Okay, there's no way that this isn't completely and totally impressive. And uh, so it goes on and talks about all the the uh the, the positives but it says that uh it says that marvel stocks um closed yesterday at 19 dollars on the new york stock exchange again this is 2004 
down from $24 in March because some worry that there is further weakness with the company if it stumbles on any of its upcoming projects. The uh, It says Marvel owns a stable of comic book characters including Spider-Man, the Hulk, X-Men, and Fantastic Four. The company garners the bulk of its profit from licensing the use of those characters for video games, films, apparel, and toys. They've done an impressive... I'm, I'm reading. Again, this is not me. This is... I am reading the Wall Street Journal. They have done an impressive job creating new enthusiasm for characters that for years attracted little attention. If Spider-Man 2 is a big success, it will help Marvel as it licenses characters into the future. It says Marvel receives 5% of the gross profit of all the revenue streams of Spider-Man 2. The company earned $20 million from the box office receipts of the first movie. The company's already booked $10 million in advance payments from Sony for the sequel. So the film will have to be one of the biggest hits on record to generate even more for Marvel's bottom line. But then it talks about Avi Arad, Marvel's chief creative officer. And uh, that, that his Marvel Studios, he, he is the chief executive officer of the company's Marvel Studios division. He sold two-thirds of his directly owned stock, 29% of his holdings, including options, and he reaped about $40 million. It says... Uh, this sale follows a similar sale that Mr. Arad did just a year prior. And that Mr. Arad, Avi Arad, retains 1.2 million shares, as well as 3.6 million options. Marvel Vice Chairman Ike Perlmutter, of who we hear about all the time, is the largest shareholder. He um, he sold 4 million shares for 77 million, okay? 12% of his total holdings. Crazy. These numbers are crazy. But it talks about why are they doing this? Why are they selling this? Because they're hedging their bets. That this is what this paper surmises. Um, that 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 uh, that that the the new projects coming up are more of a risk because the big characters have already been um, have already been spoken for. And it says right here, jumping down several par- paragraphs, they've really just tapped into only a few characters in their portfolio. Says Joseph Garner. Director of Research at Emerald Advisors. And Emerald Advisors owns 1.4 million Marvel comic shares, Marvel Studio shares. He says uh, Marvel com- Marvel executives are doing the selling um, because they feel the stock is undervalued. He said that others point out Marvel is going to have to depend on the future of their company with characters such as, as the Wall Street Journal again, Namor, Ghost Rider, Punisher, Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four. He says uh, in order to boost their growth. He said that, uh, that, that, that in the end, investors are, uh, have long uh, been uneasy with, with what's to come. And it says that they have a favor- favorable deal with Toy Biz, the toy company. But that, uh, that, that, that overall, they're concerned that going forward, Marvel's reliance is on lesser-known characters. He says, uh, Marvel CEO Lipson, Alan Lipson, uh, in, in response to a assertion from Barron's, I'm skipping to Barron's now, because I've, I've downloaded all these, I did all my homework, that Wall Street Journal kind of set the table, now, Barron's, they are stating that doubts are growing as to whether the company will continue to soar. Marvel will continue to soar. There are massive expectations behind beyond 2004, warns Mark Roberts. By 2005, he says, the top characters at Marvel will have been used up. Marvel will have to rely on, here it comes, drumroll please, inferior characters. Marvel will have to rely on inferior characters. Marvel CEO Alan Lipson counters that the company has a strong lineup and says, jumping down two sentences, that uh, with their marketing, they've been able to turn relatively unknown characters like Daredevil, the Fox Daredevil film, because this is way before the Netflix series, into success stories. Uh, It says, while the movie studios do not guarantee the timing or the release of a film, the, the slate for 2005 has movies based on Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Ghost Rider, and Iron Man 
on the docket. Okay, so they are looking forward. They they believed at this time in 2004, because this Barron's article is also from 2004, that the 2005 slate will include Daredevil, Fantastic Four, Ghost Rider, and Iron Man. So uh, again, it gets into the shares, and Marvel can continue to grow its, to grow its bottom line um, at 20% annually for the next five years. Because that's all, look, it's a business paper. They want you to know as much about the stock that they're telling you to buy or not buy. And uh, and so so at the end, when it says uh, Marvel continues to see growth in the licensing business as it brings new characters to the box office and takes more control of the licensing. He says uh, that Marvel has recently opened offices in London and Tokyo to expand their foreign licensing business. In the last sentence, it says... Time will tell whether Marvel truly has the stamina of the superheroes that they publish. So within this article from Barron's from 2004, uh, it has boffo or bust, boffo or bust, B-O-F-F-O or bust. And it has a chart. It says Marvel is continuing on um, future films to boost their profits. Some will feature new characters, which will be a hard sell. Right here, which will be a hard sell. Others will be sequels, which might not match the success of the originals. It then in bold says total worldwide box office revenues. It says Blade 1 and 2 have accounted for $279 million at the box office. X-Men 1 and 2. X-Men 3 is not out yet. That's coming in 2006. X-Men 1 and 2 have accounted for $702 million. Spider-Man has accounted for $822 million. Daredevil has accounted for $179 million and the Hulk. And in one of these articles, they mentioned the two failed Hulk movies. Um, this Barron's article, for those of you, is December 1st, 2003. And uh, that's what I'm um, writing for. And again, by 2005, the top characters, you know, will have been exploited and they will have to rely on inferior characters. This is what was going around, okay? Um... Back here, uh, back to another Barron's article. It says, uh, Marvel sequels have actually fared well. Blade 2 earned 151 million, up from the 128 of the original Blade. X-Men 2 made 37% more than the 295 million of the first X-Men. But Marvel faces growing competition from DC Comics, a unit of Time Warner. And then try not to laugh at this because this is the funny part of going back. Catwoman, a Catwoman film is due in 2004. Followed by Superman, Batman, and a Sandman movie in 2005, okay? It says uh, Marvel has four films slated for 2005. That will likely be the limit for that year. Again, I'm reading this. That's not my statement. That will likely be the limit for that year. They have to keep churning out more and more characters in order to grow, and they all have to be successful. There's no room for error, says this financial statement. So again... Going back in time and checking out all of these different um, views from Wall Street Journal in, in 2004 and in 2003, the Barron's article, they are not, um, they, they, they do not have what, would, what you would call a, a, uh, a, a bullish outlook. And again, there's, there's, there's a section that I'm not going to pull up, but it had graphics like the one I was telling you, which had the chart that said what Blade 1 and 2 had made at X-Men 1 and 2. And it had bear and bull, like like the bear outlook, the bull outlook. And they were more bearish at this time. Because again, they're like Spider-Man and X-Men have been their big sellers. Again, look at this headline. Marvel may need heroic help. Despite Spider-Man 2 buzz, some worry about insider sales. That was the Aviarod and, and Ike promoters selling off their stock. And the dearth of exploitable characters. And again, the inferior characters remark is within this. So, that's how the world was looking at what they had left. And Thor, Iron Man. Um, when Marvel announces its slate and gets closer, it says it's going to make Iron Man. It's going to make Hulk. Those are their first, We know how those turned out. Iron Man was a giant smash success. And, uh, and then the Hulk... Uh, what, 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 that year after... That was their second shot after the Eric Banya... Um, Hulk from I, I think 2002 that the, the 2008 Hulk film with Ed Norton didn't achieve the success that they wanted which is why they didn't go forward with another version from Universal you know on that but the uh, the, 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 the funny part um, 
you know, of all of this is, you know, when, when Marvel made this announcement, so check this out, in the LA Times in 2005, Marvel to make movies based on comic books. This is September 6, 2005. This is where they announced. We have got a line of... Uh, 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 Merrill Lynch has um, worked with them to create a 525 million line of credit that is going to... That they are going to use this money to make 10 films with budgets of as much as 165 million each. Now you're saying, how do you do that on 525 million line of credit? You use the money to make the first two, like Iron Man and Hulk, and then you use those profits to then keep pouring in, keep pouring in, which is what they did until they got bought by Disney for $4 billion. It says Marvel, this is the LA Times, Roger Vinson is the writer, September 6, 2005. Marvel said it will use the money to make 10 films with budgets of as much as $165 million each, including Captain America, whom Avi Arad, chief executive of Marvel Studios Inc., calls the holy grail of comic book characters waiting for the big treatment on the big screen. We have been very involved in making movies with our partners in the past. Now we will be producing our own films. Sony Pictures created blockbuster franchises with Marvel Spider-Man and 20th Century Fox is working on X3, the third film based on Marvel's X-Men property. Paramount Pictures will serve as exclusive marketing and distribution partner for these films. Plans call for two PG-13 releases a year starting in summer 2008. Marvel characters set to join Captain America in this line of films Marvel is producing. The Avengers, Nick Fury, Black Panther, Ant-Man, Cloak and Dagger, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Power Pack, and Shang-Chi. And you sit there and you go, okay, they've done all these. Cloak and Dagger was on a freeform show that they, you know, produced. Doctor Strange, Hawkeye's been there, Ant-Man, we got that. Nick Fury's all over the place. Black Panther, we got that. We just didn't get Power Pack. Shang-Chi is coming. Arad says, these titles have great public awareness. We are virtually guaranteed strong opening weekends and we will make sequels following. So Avi is bullish on this, on, on, on stating this following, you know, again, these previous reports that had, <laughs> that, that, that again had, had, had the financial market saying not so fast. What they have left is not as exploitable as Spider-Man and the X-Men. So Marvel really was up against it. Now here, and this is fantastic, this is an article from Slate Magazine, September 28, 2012, following the ridiculous success of the Avengers. It says, how Marvel Comics went from a Hollywood also ran to mastermind of a billion dollar franchise. It says, um, it was to be a golden future after frustrating years watching its four color superhero properties sputter in Hollywood. While rival DC drove its own superhero franchise to even greater prominence, Marvel Comics resolved to put its destiny in its own hands. Total creative control of our celebrated roster of comic book characters. That's how the company newsletter announced the launching of Marvel Productions, its new studio. We are looking forward to taking the reins of the development of our own properties as well as sharing our expertise with the suppliers. That was 1980. That was talking about the success that DC had had with the Superman movies, with the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. That's when Marvel Productions was launched. They were going to chase the success of 1978 and 1980s Superman films with, with their new production. It said, Marvel Productions did indeed churn out a stable of Saturday morning cartoons over the next decade, um, but their film dreams sputtered. It talks about how Ron Perlman took the company public and then we're going to merge down um, into Avi Arad, Ike Perlmutter, Carl Icahn, the battle for Marvel post-bankruptcy, a battle royale, they call. And uh, Avi Arad emerged of all of these characters as the legitimate comic book fans. While corporate lawyers screamed obscenities at one, one another, Arad, Avi Arad wooed bankers with a stirring speech about the value of Marvel's characters. Spider-Man alone is worth a billion dollars, he says. But now, at this crazy hour, at this juncture, you're going to take $380 million for the whole thing? One of these things is worth a billion. We have the X-Men. We have the Fantastic Four. They can all be movies. Well, Marvel eventually emerged from bankruptcy. I'm reading from the Slate article. The Slate article from September 18, uh, September 8, 2012. September 28, 2012. When well, Marvel at last emerged from bankruptcy with Perlmutter and Avirad at top. It was greeted with a streak of luck and delayed 
payoff. Blade was the surprise $70 million hit for New Line. At Fox, the X-Men production finally solved the obstacles of a restrictive budget and a string of discarded writers, which included Michael Chabon and Joss Whedon, and earned $157 million. Most miraculous of all the news was that after 15 years and countless tangled web newspaper headlines, the film rights to Spider-Man were finally resolved. The 2002 adaptation broke box office records. So during this time, I'm going to segue out of the article right now. This is me talking. During this time, I had friends who were executives at Marvel and other friends who were producers on some of these movies. And they were giving me the inside info of what the X-Men licensing deal with Marvel was. And I couldn't believe what they were telling me. But Avi, Avi will absolutely double down on this during this in this article, in this Slate article. He will tell you in his own quotes, in his own words. He will give you facts and figures, like I said, that are staggering. Arad and Marvel, back to the article, had a choice. Marvel properties were finally recognized as a goldmine in Hollywood. And the company could well have survived by treating comic book movies as intermittently appearing cash cows. Hollywood studios make movies with Marvel characters. Marvel reaps the benefits in the form of increased comic sales and their licensed opportunities. Okay? And look, the licensed opportunities, Hulk hands. Remember those? My kids loved them. You punched and went, okay, it had a sound effect. Hulk hands were a giant smash hit. It was the best thing that came out of that Eric Banya 2002 Hulk movie. Like t-shirts, all that stuff you see at Target at Walmart. The toys that, that clog up the racks, that take up all the pegs. Um, we've, we've talked about licensing, about what Todd McFarlane taught me about the toy business because he had to learn it in order to launch his own successful toy business. And every one of those pegs matters. And that's some big real estate. And Marvel owns large chunks of entire aisles of toys and games. So don't discount for one minute when it says here license opportunities, what that means to them. But again, that box office dollars, right? So here it says, and yet following the line that says, and Marvel reaps the benefits in the form of increased comic sales and licensed opportunities. And yet, says Avi Arad, we were giving away the best part of our business. Marvel took in a mere, are you ready for this number? They were they took in $25,000 from the success of Blade Number 1. This is Avi's quote. We had a negotiated flat fee from Fox for X-Men. It's not my place to tell you what that flat fee is, but it's not much more impressive than that number I just read to you. He said, and of the $3 billion that the first two Spider-Man movies raked in from the box office, DVDs, and the broadcast sales to the networks. This is obvious quote. We at Marvel saw only 62 million. So, you know, 10% of 3 billion is 300 million. Okay? So, Marvel, I, I mean, this is staggering. Marvel got $62 million out of the two Spider-Man movies from Sony. So you can see where they set out to set up this deal where they would use what was left in their catalog, which Wall Street Journal, the Barons, the financial market said inferior characters. Um, we got very little out of these deals, says Arad. Enter the soft-spoken, endlessly ambitious David Mizell. I know David. David is a very kind, uh, very, very creative man. Loves comics, loves comic book art. I'll see him on the floor of several conventions, always buying up. And it's so funny because he says in here what a big Iron Man fan he is. I have seen him. I have watched him buy Bob Layton Iron Man pages, Gene Colan Iron Man pages. The guy loves Iron Man. It's the proof's in the pudding. And this is like just back in 2019, the last time I saw him doing this. At WonderCon, no less. So uh, it talks about how Mizell flew to Florida where Ike Perlmutter lives and had a lunch meeting pitched to him laying out a plan. This is from the article in Slate in 2012 for Marvel to see much more green but to free itself from the erratic whims of studios by making its own movies. Why just take 5% of the gross when you can have it all, he says. And not just the box office, but all the ancillary revenues from merchandising and DVDs. This right here is building the future that we exist in now. This right here, this conversation creates Disney Plus and the Marvel streaming empire that we are now, you know, living in. That has that has Moon Knight coming, She-Hulk coming, Hawkeye coming. All the big Marvel films, Shang-Chi, Eternals. The reason I could buy Black Widow for 25 bucks from the Disney Plus, you know, premium purchase and watch it countlessly as I have this last weekend. This all started right here. He he is a 
protege at, at an agent agency, Mizell was. And it was in 2003 that he made that, that flight. And then obviously they started making their announcements and the financial market said, hey, but we don't know who Captain America and Iron Man, we, we, inferior characters, okay? I know there's an article, I can't find it, but it was a financial paper that said all Marvel has left is their C-list characters, comma, Cap, Thor, Iron Man. I located the one that called them inferior characters. Have we, obviously, they're getting the last laugh. These were not inferior characters. And this is why this is called the rise of the D-list. What Marvel had left, it has turned into absolute platinum gold, okay? Um, Ike Perlmutter was intrigued, but not immediately convinced it would work. David Mizell was hired as a chief operating officer, chief operating officer, and he began a furious process of number crunching, reading this, and, uh, and created this formula. Many of the board members of Marvel who held the stock were hesitant to take the plunge. In five years, Marvel had gone from bankruptcy to a market capitalization of more than $600 million. The stock was $17 a share. Mizell's insistence is that he could take it to $50 a share. I remember making a 30-page PowerPoint presentation, said Mizell, outlining with a huge amount of detail what these movies could be worth. He hammered the point that a gross deal was nothing more than an option and that even if an option film does get made, the timing of release, an element of control, highly desired by shareholders and a public company is up to the studio, not Marvel. But Marvel management was famously conservative, beginning with Ike Perlmutter, who sent out memos about recycling paper clips and writing on both sides of your notepad paper. A lot of the ways movies are made is almost anti-cultural to the way that Marvel was run, says Avi Arad. It can be like a bottomless pit until you get the right script, and even then the production and the marketing are expensive. Throughout 2004, David Mizell made his case, while also putting out all manner of feelers to financial backers. Bottom line, skipping several sentences, Merrill Lynch bit down. They said, we can do this. We can put this together to you. And in April of 2005, they finally, Marvel announced that they were going to do non-recourse financing. This means that Marvel wouldn't have to put up any cash and would receive $527 million over an eight-year period in a line of credit to make 10 characters. Here it is again. Ant-Man, The Avengers, Black Panther, Captain America, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, The Power Pack, and lastly, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Um, unless you are a comic book fan, chances were that you had never heard of these characters. Marvel's collateral to their financial backers if the first four films failed were simply the rights, the movie rights to the remaining six characters. So it said even if Marvel lost those rights, they would retain merchandising. So the collateral was if these fail, then we give you the last six that we didn't make out of these ten. So if Marvel had made Ant-Man, Avengers, Black Panther, and Cap, the Merrill Lynch, if they if none of this moved and no profits were you know, generated, Merrill Lynch would have taken Doctor Strange, Hawkeye, Nick Fury, Power Pack, and Shang-Chi, or whatever manner, whatever Marvel. We all know Iron Man went first. Um, even if the plan failed entirely, Arad said, we were no worse off than our current situation. Um, it goes down to say that uh, Marvel, by risking the collateral of those ladder-named characters, by their own admission, ladder-named characters, um, were performing a sleight of hand. I'm reading this. This is a sentence in the Slate article. This was a nice sleight of hand by Marvel. Um, the Avengers had included so many B-list members over the course of the years that Marvel could argue that the lean against any Avengers-related title was actually only for a lineup of Jack of Hearts, Two-Gun Kid, Tigra, and the D-Man. So Marvel's, you know, playing definitely on their deeper knowledge of the catalog when they are going to set up this new massive empire. It never came to that, of course. And even before it was time for the first film to go into production, New Line's option on Iron Man expired. Lionsgate also gave up their claim on Black Widow. Marvel reacquired Thor from Sony and got rights from the Hulk to the Hulk from Universal. David Mizell and Avi Arad pushed Ike to make Iron Man first, a favorite of both gentlemen since their childhoods, as the first film of Marvel Productions. Just as just as had happened 40 years ago in the comics of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, the Avengers were going to assemble, setting the stage for a franchise synergy Hollywood had never seen before. To invert an old Stan Lee phrase, Marvel would have never 
had such great power without taking such great responsibility. Instead of the relentlessly lucrative juggernaut that Iron Man kicked off in which every film made more than $100 million and fed directly into the success of the next one, the alternate universe Marvel movie universe the alternate universe marvel movies would probably be defined by the flops lions gates punishers um and the development limbo phantoms fox's long delayed silver surfer certainly we could have never seen marvel's 4.3 billion sale to disney avi arad says because again this is years after this is four years after this sale it's almost laughable he says people are saying wow that was such a high price it's a cheap price arad says it's nothing this was such a strong brand. We planned on this brand. It was never a fluke. So the reading the article portion is finished because I needed you guys to get the facts and the figures. This is the stuff I love. This is the stuff that I just dig so much because as I told you, I love the near misses. I love when all the studios pass and the one guy goes, I'll take a chance on you, George. I'll make your Star Wars movie. Hey, Peter Jackson, we'll make a Lord of the Rings movie. We'll go all in after everybody failed. AMC, the last network, after 16 other networks passed, sci-fi passed. I mean, sci-fi passed. Sci-fi channel could have had Walking Dead before AMC. NBC, uh, 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 you know, TNT, TBS, HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, they all passed. ABC, uh, did I say CB, uh, CBS? I mean, so many, but AMC happened to greenlight The Walking Dead and change the course of their network. Similar here, a giant risk was taken to Marvel. Inferior characters. Again, go back. I read all of that straight from these articles that it took me several days to hunt down the links and to, and to pull them up and to show you. Today I read from Wall Street Journal, the Baron, Barons, the LA Times, and Slate Magazine giving you all these different interviews, these quotes, because my own kids, I see it through their eyes. They've come to the Marvel heroes, not through their dad and his comic collection, which they couldn't be bothered with their entire childhood, which I'm not saying in a resentful fashion. I'm saying in a matter of fact, they were wowed by these films, these films, the MCU, Chris Evans's cap, um, Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Let's go back to that. Downey Jr. had not been a movie star in a very long time. As a matter of fact, due to his complications with his um, history of drug abuse in the late 90s, it was seen as a really big deal when he booked a year on a very popular sitcom, or a very, not a sitcom, a very popular comedic show by the, you know, ridiculously talented David E. Kelly, who was tearing up network. He had shows on ABC, on Fox. Allie McBeal was the show. Robert Downey Jr. got a season where he got to play off Callista Flockhart, who had just changed pop culture. Ally McBeal, 20 years ago, was a cultural just earthquake. It, 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 she was on the cover of every magazine, this sassy, cute, sexy, confident lawyer with her imagined fantasies and dancing baby and inner voices and fourth wall breaking. I mean, Downey Jr. Uh, got a year-long role on um, maybe the third, the fourth season and it was great. He had great chemistry, and you could see, you were reminded why Downey Jr. was such a big star, but no one was making a big movie with Robert Downey Jr. And, uh, you know, the next time, I remember being in the cinema, and, and, uh, and, and you know, watching the, uh, the, the latest movie uh, by, by, by David Fincher, and, and it, it, it concerned the... Uh, the uh, serial killings that, that, that haunted Southern California and uh, Northern California, all of California, for, for, uh, for, for many years. It was about the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac Killer. And this was the year before Iron Man. This is 2007. And it's got Jake Gyllenhaal. It's got Mark Ruff Ruffalo. And ironically, it has a bit, kind of a, a very supporting role uh, as a guy who works the newspaper a reporter by Robert Downey Jr. I mean, literally, you know, it's Mephisto, Hulk, and Iron Man now. That's how my kids see these faces, okay? And how your kids see these faces. And maybe you see them that, that way. I mean, this is just, the, the branding is a result of what happened with David Mizell flying to Ike Permeter and telling him, I can do this for you. Stop taking the crumbs at the table. Eat the whole loaf. Change your trajectory. Activate the D-list. 
because they knew it wasn't the D-list. The D-list that I'm mentioning in the context of the show is 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 the the kind of in quotes how the financial markets. Um, I was telling my wife how much in the it, it, I alongside X-Men. Ironically, the other most important character in the late '70s, early '80s to me was Iron Man by David Michelinie, Bob Layton, and sometimes John Romita Jr. And sometimes Jerry Bingham. And there was the, the constant was Michelinie and Bob Layton, and they changed Tony Stark. But Tony Stark was never funny. He never had that gregarious personality that Downey Jr. brought. And at one point, they wanted Tom Cruise. Okay, um, and and yet Downey Jr. They couldn't even bond him for the film, given his problematic history, which I'm sure is not something he wants to relive, and I'm not reliving it for any other reason than to show that Marvel was just doubling down on risk. And John Favreau, obviously, had a very successful um, outing with Elf. He had done a, 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 sim- a, a second movie um, that wasn't as successful as Elf, but the entire thing was a huge risk for them. And Iron Man became more important than Iron than, than the X-Men or Spider-Man that opening weekend in 2008. And Downey Jr. was no longer a bit player in a David Fincher movie. And he was great. Zodiac is just one of the best movies you're ever going to see. It, it's like every David Fincher movie. It is fantastic. But but Downey Jr. is now in a leading role. And I remember as those lights went up and or lights went down and the, and the screen you know started to show Iron Man and I saw this very flippant, gregarious, um, wisecracking Downey Jr. as t- Tony Stark. It wasn't the Tony Stark that I loved. He was dark. I remember after the first movie, everyone, we, we were all like, is it going to be Demon in a Bottle? Are they going to take him to the darkness of that the comics did where, where he became an utter danger to himself and it was a re- it was lauded, critically lauded for the, the real portrayal of an alcoholic because Tony Stark was a hardcore alcohol, a- alcoholic and, 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 and abuser. And, and was addicted to liquor and that, that the demon in a bottle storyline, which is uh, cemented by this, you know, sweaty Tony Stark looking in the reflection of the mirror, the Iron Man helmet on the table turned towards the mirror itself. It's, it's an amazing image, an amazing, uh, epic comic book cover image that solidified uh, the popularity that Iron Man was, was, was having at the time. Iron Man was a top selling Marvel comic, but it was never number one. He wasn't D-list. Maybe he was an A-list all the time, but he was definitely a strong character. He was never an inferior character as these these financial papers are are stating when they preached coffin, you know, caution, caution, caution. Do not, you know, uh, there's all sorts of funny stuff going on. Ike Perlmutter and Avi Arad are selling their stock off year after year, gaining, making big gains. What does this mean? Is it because they don't believe in the lineup? Um, is it because, you know, like that one analyst said, they're going to have to continue to have character after character get exploited and be successful. There's no room for error. And out of it all, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Cap, and then the explosion that was the Avengers, the billion dollar, almost $2 billion uh, uh, that that first film was just incredible. The, the, the success that it had was, we're still living in the after effects. Somebody like Guardians of the Galaxy, I remember when that movie came out, I've, I've, I've detailed here how Fox said, well, we had never heard of anybody in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Everybody kind of heard of Captain America. That's probably why Avi used it in that Slate Magazine article. Well, Captain America, he's the, he's the Holy Grail. He was more known, I think, throughout the years than Iron Man. Remember, Jim Lee and myself, listen to those Heroes Reborn. If I can recommend those Heroes Reborn podcasts, I think it's five parts. Jim and I were paid uh, a, a, a King's ransom to reboot those those books. Captain America was selling 20,000 copies before I took it over and it sold 400,000 copies. Ditto for the Avengers, Jim's Fantastic Four, Wills and Jim's Iron Man. We rebooted this at the premiere of Endgame. My agent, who was my agent from CAA back then, said, Rob, this started with you guys when Marvel pivoted and said, we got to get these characters rebooted. They could not have anticipated all that was coming. But it was true that they wanted these 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 former crown jewels to mean more than they had. 20,000 sales for Captain America was just pathetic. It was bad. And, and, and it needed a facelift. And, 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 and Marvel gave them the attention in the comics back then what, in the way that they would be forced to do, given that that's all they had left. When you talk about Spider-Man, that's a big empire. You've seen how Sony has now leaned into Venom and Mobi, um, Morbius and Craven the Hunter, and there was talks of a Silver Sable 
uh, uh, you know, movie. I mean, the Sinister Six putting the spotlight on all those glorious villains. The Spider-Man world is big. It's my favorite Spider-Man film is the Miles Morales. Okay, into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Ham got a moment. Okay, um, that library is probably. I would, I would guess Spider-Man alone is, man. Yeah, Sony could justify a ten billion. I'm sorry, a hundred billion dollars, given that 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 the entire Fox catalog was sold for seventy billion. Okay, let me backtrack that. Not a hundred billion. Fifty billion dollars for for Spider-Man alone. It's that's what they're they're building out this giant giant universe. You want to say life? Well, maybe ten billion, maybe twenty billion. I didn't mean to say a hundred billion. Um, seventy billion dollars. Fox, Marvel paid four billion for Star Wars. It paid four billion for Marvel. It then paid $70 billion. It was in a bidding war. The opening bid was in the $50 billion. $70 billion for Fox. I do believe somewhere between 30 and 50 is where Sony's head is at in regards to Spider-Man because it is vast. It is their, their biggest crown jewel um, in, in that, on that studio lot, in that studio portfolio is this incredible license that they have for Marvel that they will never renege on. They will continue to renew, renew, renew. Um, and uh, and 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 they, and and have I been told by some of my friends is there is there a number that Disney would pay to get him back? There is. It's probably too. Sony probably wants you know a very generous amount given what they've seen. And and knowing that now Venom, the Tom Hardy Venom movie made a billion dollars with overseas grosses. Okay. Uh, didn't do as good domestically, but around the world, people love their symbiote. They love that tongue, those teeth, those fangs. They love Venom. They love that film. The sequel is going to blow up. It's going to do huge. Um, kids love Venom. Kids love Venom. Some In some cases, they love Venom more than they love Spider-Man at this moment. The Spider-Man universe is vast. It's valuable. Sony is definitely exploiting it, building it out, um, as they should. As they should. And, and, and it has to compete with Marvel on the same level. But the cost and the value of these, Spider-Man's always been A-list. Spider-Man has never been anything but A-list. Since 1975, the X-Men have been A-list. Giant size X-Men number one put them back on the map. You could argue maybe the, maybe 1977, maybe, maybe 1978. When the Byrne, Austin, Claremont team was crack-a-lackin', that book never looked back. And uh, so X-Men, Spider-Man, but, but, but the inferior characters is what Wall Street Journal called what Marvel had left. And then you can see Avi Arad in the Slate magazine saying, well, if we lost an Avengers title to them, we could jam that with Jack of Hearts, Tigra, D-Man, okay? I mean, they 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 were, it says, they had a, they knew they could play some sleight of hand because these investors, no matter how uh, much research they do, unless you've grown up with these characters, you don't know the value. Now, I would argue that what Feige has done with Ant-Man and with Captain Marvel, the Brie Larson film, is phenomenal. The right casting, the right appeal. Let's get back to Loki, what I started with. Loki was never a breakout character. He was a great villain. Was he my favorite villain? Uh, not not mine. Uh, my Marvel favorite villains are Doctor Doom, Kang the Conqueror, Magneto. Okay, my favorite Spider-Man villain is Doctor Octopus. That's, you know, in my opinion, that's why Alfred Molina was so great in Spider-Man 2, because Doc Ock is such a rich character and he's visually so interesting as well. He meets both criteria. Great character, great visual. And, uh, you know, to put Paul Rudd as Ant-Man and get that response. To get Tom Hiddleston, and now Loki is this sexy heartthrob. Hunk, okay? He was always Richard E. Grant to the rest of us, okay? I'm not saying this with anything other than the most respect possible. What Marvel has managed to do, they could literally introduce Turdman. And everyone, my sons included, would flip out. Oh, Turdman, Dad, they're bringing Turdman. My son would never have read one single panel of Turdman. But he'd be like, oh my gosh, the way Turdman took on that fecal matter in episode two of the new Turdman show from Marvel. he That's how powerful that brand is. It's, it comes immediately with a stamp of approval by fanboys, myself included, who never want to be left behind. Uh, I will be honest, some stuff I like more than others, but the success across the board is undeniable. 
what Marvel has done with the inferior characters, with the inferior portfolio, with the D-list, and the fact that now Anthony Mackie is is A-list as the Falcon, and Bucky is is A-list. I, they all feel A-list to me. Tom Hiddleston is A-list. Scarlett Johansson is A-list. Black Widow is an A-list character, but they weren't wrong when they called her a lesser. I wouldn't have called her inferior as the Wall Street Journal did. And I certainly wouldn't have said, as one of the articles said, a C-list character. But, you know, a lesser known character? In the meantime, the X-Men, the greatest A-list portfolio that Marvel ever had, it's going on two years that they were purchased, and we've heard nothing. And Wolverine, A-list all the way through. Cable, the face of a $5 million selling second best performing comic in the history of comic books. X-Force, all of these super popular X-Men, Cyclops, Storm, Colossus, are on the sidelines. They're on the sidelines. Deadpool has made this breakthrough. I am still getting over the fact that I watched, along with you, that spot that Ryan Reynolds taped with Deadpool and Korg promoting Free Guy. What the, the biggest flex of synergy I've seen in the last 20 years. Ryan Reynolds goes to Marvel. I want to use Deadpool to sell my new movie that was made over with Fox, but you own Fox, but Marvel's a separate brand, so the Disney overlords had to work it all out, had to give the clear uh, the clearance. Obviously, Ryan is that important to them that he could team with Korg, get Taika Waititi, who, who is from the Thor movie over in the MCU, announced basically with this free guy preview movie trailer that Deadpool has officially entered the MCU because Deadpool is that important to that portfolio. And uh, somebody tried to tell me that Deadpool uh, on Twitter was a C-list character. He's never been anything but an A-lister. Debuted in 750,000 car- uh, copies, uh, was in X-Force number one, 5 million copies. X-Force number two, 1.5 million copies. Trading cards, toys immediately. The guy only uh, uh, dined out on the A-list card. So, um, But Marvel at least has, has, has kept him uh, uh, juggled in the air while they have kept the X-Men now s- sidelined and we're all waiting what will happen with Wolverine what will happen with this vast X-Men uh, uh, family and again as I said at the top the Fantastic Four is absolutely one of the best known most famous most celebrated most loved most adored characters in the history of Marvel Comics and we are all waiting so much for them to get the green light but it is so such the, 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 the importance of these characters now is so much that someone as lovely as an Emily Blunt, while she is promoting Quiet Place 2, has to tell reporters to stop asking her about an Invisible Woman because she's there to promote A Quiet Place, her husband's film that he directed and stars in alongside of her. That's, and I'm smiling, trust me. I was like, I, I felt bad. There was a period where, again, Scarlett Johansson appeared in indie films and, uh, and, and films directed by Robert Redford. And, 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 and she was uh, a star on the rise on her own merits outside of Black Widow. And, and, and that, uh, you know, that, that Downey Jr. again had his own career outside of being this Marvel icon. But now the fans just want them to be the Marvel heroes first, foremost, always, utmost. And, uh, and so they get asked, if, are you going to be a Marvel character? And Emily Blunt's like, I just want to sell you the movie that I'm here for. And she could not have been more polite as the British are known to be. She has that beautiful accent and that, that soft demeanor. But you could tell it's like, I'm here to sell A Quiet Place. But we want to know if you're an invisible woman. I legit felt bad for her. Um, you know, I've read people fuming about Taskmaster in the recent Black Widow, and I won't spoil the twist, but people are furious. And I, and I was there when Taskmaster debuted. Taskmaster, I can assure you, was never A, B, or C list. But to this fan base, and they want to argue with me that he's way more important, you know, it's almost like Taskmaster deserved their own film. I I thought Taskmaster functioned, moved, and, and, and was embodied in the manner that I enjoy him the most in the comic books when he first appeared in The Avengers. And, and, and all of his appearances since, some alongside Deadpool, of course, but all throughout the Marvel Universe, whenever he's appeared, I love Taskmaster. Taskmaster was indeed a template for what George would go on and do with Deathstroke. Again, I've, I've, I've outlined the Buccaneer boots, the Buccaneer gloves, the chain mail, um, just, just the color scheme of blue and orange. It was almost like George was like, oh, why did I give up Taskmaster? I was leaving Marvel three months later. And he course-corrected and created 
Deathstroke, and 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 you know, Deathstroke is now seemingly an A-list character because of the greater importance placed on him in the Snyderverse, and and uh, and 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 the desire to see him more. But again, he was maybe a B-list DC character, but but now it seems like all these characters are the dominion of the A-list, and because the fever for them are so extreme, and people trip over themselves trying to get ahead of the character's popularity before the character truly fulfills that because so many people want to say, I knew it, I was there, I knew it, I called it. I have some of those in my own family. They love to say, I called it, I called it, which is fun. It's fun. It's it's all of this is in the uh, interest of great fun and I wanted to share today the hurdles that Marvel went through. The financial markets said all they had left was the inferior characters, but they knew better and they they knew that if, if some of these didn't work, they would give collateral, you know, to, to, to the financial markets if, if they failed to fulfill this $525 million, $525 million line of credit that they would give them basically the rights to what the, the same inferior characters that the financial markets had called the power back, Dr. Strange, Hawkeye. So it was a double-edged sword. Uh, Marvel sliced through any and all opposition and reigns supreme as the most important imprint, the most important brand, maybe of my lifetime. I would have said prior to this that it was Star Wars, but in the last decade I have seen Marvel move all the way to the fore. I don't see anything that is as uh, electrifying to the public or moves the culture in the way that the Marvel brand does. And I look forward to when true, truly the, the super powerful A-list characters of the Fantastic Four and the X-Men are activated in the very, very near future. So that was a dance through time from 2003, 2004. Um, Avi Arad telling you that they made $25,000 off Blade. And I'm telling you, the X-Men yield, just trust me, all those X-Men films, why do you think Fox enjoyed that relationship as much as they did? Because um, the sharing was was of a similar manner. Trust me. Um just just, uh, just an amazing history for Marvel. Kevin Feige, Avi Arad, Ike Perlmutter, David Mizell. What a tremendous breakthrough. Th- these characters, once deemed inferior, are now the, the hottest characters that we wake up early to. We wait for the clock to strike midnight or 2, p- 2 a.m. whenever it is that Disney will stream that new episode of whatever character Marvel has decided, decided to give us. And I don't, I don't see any D-listers. I see the biggest properties and the biggest imprint in the history of comic books. Let me, uh, let me, let me, uh, 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 share with you, um, uh, uh, one of these, uh, reviews. Cause you guys, you guys know that I, I read reviews, um, and, and I love to, to show and share with you guys, um, all of the, uh, of the different love that I am shared with on, on the, on the reviews that you guys leave for me about this show, and I really appreciate it. Again, I learned so much how it, how important the reviews are. And by saying that out loud, there are people who literally hate listening to this show, and then they run to to read to to place a negative um, review. And and I see that agenda. That's why those won't get read. But your legitimate positive reviews, you cannot um, uh, uh, fake, and and you cannot. Um, I mean, you you absolute. You just can't fake this kind of enthusiasm and I and I am so thankful for it and it helps to show out so much and when you leave your positive reviews I am sure and certain to to read them and uh and I'm going to read this right now from Justin F Reeves this review that he left such a refreshing vibe as the world around me becomes more contentious and depressing it's hard to find people who are excited positive and passionate about something Rob Liefeld is passionate, excited, and positive about comics. When you are looking for a spouse, find someone who is excited about you as Rob is about, let's say, his top five Spider-Man or Wolverine artists, both incredible episodes. I've been in and out of comic book collecting since I was a teenager in the 90s. Right now, I'm decidedly in, and it's because of this podcast. I'm purchasing more amazing comics and starting this podcast than I ever have before. Jack Kirby collected fighting American comics from the 1950s? Check. Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man run? Check. Check said in Rob's hilarious Todd impersonation. New Mutants and X-Force books? Check. Plus, I've stripped the four local comic book shops, back issue bins, bare of anything associated with Rob since his work stands as some of the greatest of all time. Thank you. The history lessons on here have been 
fantastic. His insight into the industry is eye-opening. His zeal is refreshing. Yes, he created Cable, Domino, X-Force, and Deadpool, but what I appreciate about him the most is he has a dedicated family man who likes to spread positivity. He is great to interact with. His He's great to interact with his fans online, and if you listen to this podcast, I guarantee you're going to find yourself hitting up Amazon and eBay to pick up some of the great books that he recommends. Five stars and cheers to this Diamond in the Rough podcast. Thank you so much, Justin F. Reeves, for that. Such a refreshing vibe. That's the, the, the name of the review. Thank you for getting the word out there. I appreciate it so much. This show needs you. We need your word of mouth. We need you to keep telling your friends, tweeting about it, posting about it on social media. I thank you so much. It is such a joy. I have been wanting to discuss this amazing rise from, it's not the ashes, but this descent that that the, that the world said, Marvel doesn't have anything left. They can't do it. They're going to be relying on characters named Namor. And, and it's the lesser character, the inferior characters. And then all of them are going to have to work. Well, they did. And and for that, somewhere between Avi Arad, Kevin Feige, many, many bows. Um, they, 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 they earned it. They have entertained now well into their second decade. And, uh, and no looking back. And it's phenomenal. And it is a true, m- massive success story that deserves all of our applause. You guys, thank you for listening to this show. I am on social media at Twitter. I'm at Robert Liefeld, the full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. Blue check mark says it's really me. That's me. Please interact with me, exchange with me. I love talking and hanging out with you guys. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Um, at Rob Liefeld, I am easy to access. I am so appreciative um, of, of, of when you guys reach out and your comments and the DMs. And I love talking to you guys. I'm all over Facebook. I'm literally all over social media. Reach out, find me. Um, I love hearing and talking to you guys and thank you again for giving me your time today and listening to this show. You guys know the drill. You are going to stay safe. You're going to take care of yourself and we are going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 